Drew Edmondson said, an Oklahoma prosecutor once closed a corruption case against the county commissioner by explaining that while voters may expect a commissioner to receive some gifts and kickbacks, the one in question had <laughs> abused the privilege. Jesus. Which is not untrue, right? People do expect it. Not because they're looking forward to it, but because these... That's just what they're going to do. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Thanks for joining us again this week. Uh, joining me in his kitchen is Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What's up, dude? What's up? It's nice to be here in person. We get to converse more naturally. It is. You know, you know the the virtual virtual or Zoom or you know one of the platforms that we use. Streamyard is what yeah, we Streamyard, use. Yeah. Streamyard, yeah. Uh, they're really convenient sometimes, and they certainly have their place. But there's there's nothing like being able to sit across the table from each other and uh, and and just chat. That's true. I think we might be mere weeks away from having an actual office where we could have all of our equipment again: headphones, good microphones, music, that whole thing. We'll have to have a name for it. Oh yeah, I mean, we can't just call it the office, right? Like, right. No, that's a TV show. We gotta have. Uh, I mean, it's true. Good one. <laughs> that's what she said. I don't know. No, no, that's a good office <laughs> reference. Yes, no, yeah. I mean, we had uh, upper room studios, yeah. and then we had whatever we called the other one, Studio Five Forty. I think, yeah, yeah, like that. yeah. Yeah, we'll have to come up with something good once we figure out exactly what the address is and what it looks like, what the vibe is. We have a few ideas. We'll come back to that later. Vibe is very important. Vibe is critical. That's all we have, really, is vibe. That's right. <laughs> that's that's right. So we're no, no sponsors, no money. Just that's right. Just vibe. Welcome to Let's Pod This, where we've got vibe. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst right. tagline. All right, Scott, this week I got a text message from a listener that said, your listeners demand more barbecue content. Really? Yeah. Because I was just sitting here thinking that uh, one of our listeners in particular was going to say, enough guys, move on. Start talking. <laughs> I got start, that message too. Start, start talking substance. That's right. I got that uh, message We too. both ran into some new listeners this week. Yeah? We do. We're I... I uh, I I uh, I met a new listener who does not live in this does not live in Oklahoma and does some some international work all over the world and I met her and she was like I love your show and I was like well no first she said sure sure she was like I she's like I listened to the podcast and I said you mean mine <laughs> and she's like yes and I was like that is amazing why why yeah. <laughs> and she said she. She really likes what we're doing in Oklahoma and asked if there's other people, other places doing this. And I said, you know what? There are, and I can give you some names. So yeah. that was cool. That was exciting. Yeah. I ran into someone. I was here getting ice cream with my kids and ran into a listener. And it, it is nice, one, that the world is opening up and we can meet people again. And two, it's good to know that we have at least five listeners now. I haven't checked our downloads in a while, but after 204-ish episodes... Look, we're starting to get traction. Yeah, I mean, we had... Uh, we're really taken off. I feel like we had close to 20,000 downloads, like, prior to COVID, I think. Oh, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Or 25,000, something like that. Yeah. So, uh, to those of you who listen, thank you for your support. Some of you have been with us since the beginning. Yes, and Through all the studios. Indeed. indeed. Well, uh, speaking of more barbecue, then let's start with the latest update on the saga involving Swadley's... Soggy bottom? No, foggy bottom. Foggy bottom. Although <laughs> some of their sandwiches do have soggy bottoms. That's true. Um, true. I, I say that. I think it has been. What am I? I think the last time I ate at a Swadley's was 
something on the order of 18 years ago. Have they been around that long? Wow. I think so. I think so. I, mean, I, think I, I, ate at a, I think I ate at the Swadley's and more when I was like in college working for an electric company. Yeah. And we had a job in more, and I'm pretty sure we ate at Swadley's. Interesting. I've only eaten at the one in Bethany when they opened that one out there. Sure. Uh, and it was also a, a long time ago. I don't remember when. Not 18 years, but somewhere around then. Um, you know, we should have uh, Ben Felder on the show because he did that whole. He had like a blog where he was visiting all of the barbecue places in the state. I mean, yeah, and like doing like really nice reviews and uh, He's comparing, a good journalist comparing brisket and uh, yeah. I think he and his son were going together to That's most right. of them, right? Yeah, I would like to know where Swadley stacks up. I've it's been too long. I'm gonna say uh, it's not great, Bob. No. Uh, well, so this week uh, on Wednesday, I think there was a story in Nondoc that was talking about this deal. Listeners, of course, you know Swadley's is, is in the cooker, right? They're, in the, they're getting smoked out on um, how much money, how much of the state's money they have taken um, in this deal that is being investigated at the highest levels of the state. And there was a uh, report about the head guy, Brent Swadley, speaking at a conference of Christian leaders back in 2018. This quote is incredible. <laughs> Go ahead with it. I don't know. So, so he's, he's, this was in 2018. He's talking to these dudes uh, and talking about how he, he started his company by uh, bootlegging barbecue in front of grocery <laughs> stores. And he says, quote, my mom and dad taught me something years ago. Fake it till you make it. It's okay. I bootlegged barbecue. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I followed by the rules. Insert. What does it mean to follow by the rules? I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I followed by the rules and satisfied all the permits and all the legalities and stuff out there. Sometimes you just got to go out there and do it and don't worry about it, end quote. That's, um, that is just, that is quite the statement. It is. Now... I bet this statement hits different, knowing what we know about yeah. what's happened, than it sure. did at the time, right? Sure. Because I think, I mean, honestly, Scott, I think the sentiment resonates with a lot of people, right? I mean, I think that the, I think that the sentiment that there are too many rules, or I think anybody in nearly in, any industry can point to some rules or regulations that they think are ill-conceived or unnecessary or misguided or even maybe have not only don't have the intended effect but might might have a detrimental effect that wasn't that wasn't part of the plan. I don't I don't dispute that at all. You work in healthcare, you run into these kind of rules and regulations all the time. Yeah, but what I can't do is be like, you know, you just got to just not follow the rules and don't worry about it, you know, cuz you know, can't can't get ahead if you follow the rules. Right? <laughs> right? Like so I think I I think I think that there are lots of people who probably understand where he's coming from i think most of them don't take state contracts for millions of dollars where they vastly inflate the prices of goods and services also i don't really know what he means by bootlegging barbecue i don't know that there's a rule against that i mean yeah i don't know if you have to have a permit to like set up shop in front of a grocery store and sell ribs i mean I, it's I mean, up to the owner of the grocery store is there any kind of like if you're selling food that you have prepared is there any kind of like Oh, right, like food handlers deal. Yeah, you know what I mean? I There's something, but I mean, like farmer's markets, you don't 
you know, there's like items you can buy there. Do they have permits to be at the farmer's market? I they probably have some kind, but it, I don't know. What about the guy in the corner selling watermelon? Well, I right. guess it's not prepared. Right. But see, the thing is, Andy, the difference, the difference apparently between us and I guess Brett Swadley is we would say, oh, hey, we're going to do this. We should probably make sure there's like not some form we have to fill out to get permission. Right. 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 Like that is the difference. I don't know if there's rules about that or not, but we would check to find out. And if there were, we would follow them. And yes, because you and I are rule followers. Indeed. Considering we spent last Friday sitting in a three-hour seminar about campaign finance ethics and bookkeeping and nonprofit law management, or nonprofit management and law. Um, And furthermore, I think the important thing here, right, is that the deal with Swadley's right now is millions of dollars of taxpayer money, right? That is very different than you have created a recipe for barbecue sauce and you're selling it out front. That's, that doesn't necessarily hurt, ideally doesn't hurt anybody, right? Much less it doesn't fleece the people of your state for millions of dollars. Now, the, I mean, the other thing about this that I've thought of um, is the deal with the smokers, right? Like, so one of the things being investigated, one of the line items is Two smokers that were they were allegedly purchased for, well, they they cost around twenty two thousand dollars. Swadley's allegedly billed the state like fifty one thousand dollars for each one, and in the story, it says that these smokers were actually there's like a two year waiting list. They already owned them at a couple of their restaurants, and they discussed let's just move those. To the state parks because they don't really like using them anyway. Right. And I was like, first of all, I have never seen a twenty thousand dollars smoker. Obviously, they exist, and it's probably better than like, you know, guys I know that just like weld up an old barrel or something. But it does that mean this the state has effectively overpaid twice over? Yeah. The cost of a new smoker. But we got a we got used smokers out of it, right? Yeah. Like we overpaid for a new one, but we also got used ones. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it means. And you know, twenty thousand dollars is like obviously there's, there's no scenario in which twenty thousand dollars is not a lot of money. Um, um, it is, but it's also I think not that crazy for like restaurant, like commercial grade oh, kitchen right. equipment, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like I mean, I know it sounds like a, a lot of a lot of money, but I mean, if you go to you know, I mean, what's a big green egg cost, right? Like, didn't a big green egg, like, big green egg, like, $800 or something? Something like that, right? yeah, that's true. So, you know, let's say, a big, so a big green egg's 800 bucks, but you can make enough barbecue for, yeah. you know, 10 people. A big green egg you could tow behind your truck. Yeah, if you need a big, you know, but if you need a big green egg that's big enough to cook for 200 people, and you need it to do that every single day, right? Right. Eight times 10 would be 8,000, or 800 times 10 would be... Would be eight thousand, right? Yeah. Um, and and so times twenty would be sixteen thousand. So this is barbecue math, folks. That's also let's yeah. fix this. We do math with meat. So I think it's think <laughs> of math with meat. I love it. So you know, I think, I think the price is probably concomitant with the quality, with the size, you know, its capability, those sorts of things. But yeah. it's either here nor there. The, the facts are whether the right price, whether the whether whether, whether the actual smoker itself is worth. Twenty-two thousand dollars, which is what it retails for. Um, the state paid 
50 plus another 10 in terms of like installation and like management fee. Like we paid $60,000 a piece mm-hmm. for these things, mm-hmm. which as you pointed out, are used. The whole management fee thing too, like we're paying, a, a, according to the invoices that we've seen, right? There is like, here's the cost of the thing and they charge an additional management fee and in some cases an additional like service fee on top of that. Um, which this smells real similar to what happened with Epic Charter Schools, right? right. There's these right. management fees, right? As uh, you know, I got to raise my rates, I guess. And you know, this is probably a good point to kind of transition um, over to a new organization that has kind of started this year called Clean Up Oklahoma. It's cleanupoklahoma.org is the website. And I've seen their social media posts. Um, they were a suggested follow in my feed that their whole point is about cleaning up corruption in Oklahoma. Have you seen these posts? I, I, I have. I don't know the details, but I have seen the posts. It's like a little mop in their logo. Mm-hmm. They, um, and I saw I was poking around their website and I uh, noticed on the about page, there was just a link in a paragraph to like a timeline a scandal timeline and i was like oh that sounds interesting so i clicked on it and it's a pdf i guess it goes back it starts in january of 2019 and this is really all dealing i think with governor stitt and some other people but it starts in january of 2019 which is when he was it was just a few days before he was sworn into office right and it that uh the state board approved the bank charter for his company i remember that happening right before he's he was sworn uh-huh. in and being a lot of kerfuffle about it, but yeah. of course it goes away. And, and so, so it's a mortgage company, not a bank. Right. But yeah. being a bank comes with certain benefits and prerogatives. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and so this timeline goes January 19, and then it skips a year to January 2020, right? So this pre-pandemic, and then really once the pandemic hits, you've got like May, October, December, February, March, May. Like it's just month after month of stuff for the last couple of years um, and it says below some of the scandalous behavior over the past couple of years that has been contributed to a growing public frustration and the need to clean up Oklahoma. So I will link to this in the show notes. It's a reminder to me of a lot of the stuff that we've talked about on, on our podcast here. Um, it is, and it's just, it is like kind of reading through all of these. It is remarkable. And it's like sped up, right? Right, you go like, January 2019, then January 2020, May 2020, October 2020, December 2020. Then it's like February 2021, March 21, right. May 21, yeah. November 21, December 21, January 22, February 22, March, April 22. We're not in May yet, but I assume there'll be something next month. Right. And it's, yeah, I mean, and it's it's not all state stuff. A lot of it is um, things tied to him, but it includes... You know, former AG Hunter resigning amid allegations of an affair with a state employee. A legislative report criticizing the governor's administration for not providing, quote, a single complete set of documentation for any project funded with the coronavirus relief funds and for spending COVID on unrelated projects. And then, of course, the next month was one that more they, that they couldn't account for more than $20 million in PPE spending, which should be a connection there that do you, do you remember that Governor Stitt's PPE czar, um, the guy that he... Gino DeMarco. Yes. So yeah. he was with the Department of Tourism. Stitt What's... tapped him 
to do to be the PPE guy for yeah. the state. What did he do with the Department of Tourism, Andy? He was like assistant director or something, right? Yeah, and uh, wasn't he intimately involved with the uh, negotiation and signage of this contract with Swadley? He was. <laughs> Apparently he met with Brent Swadley and uh, Director Winchester and has been involved in that. He also now is on the Healthcare Authority Board, uh-huh. which is really interesting because the governor wants to make the Healthcare Authority a managed care system. Yeah, because when I think, who do we need on the Healthcare Authority Board, I think a guy whose uh, you know, biggest uh, accomplishments in life so far seem to be far-reaching government corruption. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it just seems nuts. But yeah, so anyway, listeners... Check out this scandal timeline. And I guess, I don't know, if there's something that you remember that's not on here, let us know. I guess probably email the people at Clean Up Oklahoma. They're the ones that run that that page. But it is a, an interesting reminder about some of the events just here in the last couple of weeks and uh, or a couple of months and, and what that has meant for our state. It's It's tough. I mean, I don't know. Scott, do you feel like corruption in Oklahoma's government is more prevalent now than it was when we started this podcast five years ago? Um, I mean, you know, so that's a, that's a tough thing to answer because I, and I, and I, and it's a very, it's a good question, except that I really don't, I really hesitate to say yes or no to questions that are, do I feel like, right? I would like to, like, I would like to know, right? Is there more or less corruption? And I think that's something you could quantify um, to the extent that the corruption is known, right? Or at least been reported on. Right, right. Um, I will say, here is what I think. I feel like many of the changes that have been made um, at the uh, behest of the governor and his administration make it much easier for corruption to take place. And I think we may be starting to see some of the fruits of that, right? One of the things that the governor has done is wanting to consolidate lots and lots of power under the auspices of the executive branch, right? As opposed to, you know, independent, you know, state boards, um, or, you know, officials that are, that are selected from, you know, from, by the other, by the other branches. The governor says, no, I'm the quote CEO of the state. So I, I should get to pick all of these things. Um, and you can certainly make an argument for that in the case of efficiency. And there are people probably listening right now who would correctly point out that, you know, when you talk about corruption in Oklahoma government, you look at the counties, right, who are that are run largely, uh, almost entirely independent, and they're source of they are they are the source of some of the largest corruption scandals in state history. So, um, I, I, it's certainly not like limited to right now, and and it's and it's certainly you can absolutely have corruption without decentralization of power. Um. So I don't know if there's more now or if it is just more visible or if if it's or if we're seeing more of it because there are a lot of us who are opposed to some of these changes that the governor has been pushing for for these reasons and now it's easy for us to say aha see mm. we told you. So so I'm hesitant to say that I feel like there is more but I certainly feel like it's easier and it wouldn't surprise me if you sat down and kind of like looked at the numbers 
that that we find that it's gone up. Right. Yeah. You know. I mean, does think, that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I think that's fair, right? It's it is it was uh, wrong of me to ask you to give a yes or no to something you feel. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, I'm thinking back to previous scandals, even like the health department scandal where they lost, quote, lost that $20 million. It was like in a slush fund, mm-hmm. poor accounting, all of that back when, so that was before 2018 because that was pre, that's with the previous auditor, right? Gary Jones. I mean, it's always been there. It's probably more likely to be in the news in election years, right? Sure. And I mean, we have better ways to get at it now, right? Like, we do. And the last two years have been exceptional in all kinds of ways. And I think the influx of money into the state, like federal money coming in, that was intentionally like somewhat vague on what you could spend it on or broad, right? Because like different states have different needs. And so whenever you've got just a bunch of money coming in, it opens the door for folks to be like, hey, I got a special project. I got a donor, you know, who's doing this. And so I, you know, I think that probably has... I mean, it's like, you know... I mean, it's like we, and did, I don't know if you and Bailey got into this last week, but like, you know, I mean, it, it, there's, there's, there's corruption and grift. And then there's just like, I mean, that doesn't smell right. Right. Like Wallace, right. Who mm. is, you know, saying, yeah, we absolutely need to extend the Kickapoo turnpike. Dude's a highway subcontractor, right. right? Like, of course he wants to extend the turnpike. Which, like, isn't technically illegal, right. we know, because he's not the direct contractor. But right. it's like, okay, but if, if he's the chair of appropriations and budget, and he's running the bill, and at the end of it, right, like, so he's the guy that approves the money, and then he could be potentially subcontracted to, to do the work. Right. Don't you think he could find a middleman to help connect the dots there? Right. Right. You and, know? And it's just, it's stuff, you know, it's stuff like that. I mean, the second, the second thing on the, the, the second event on the corruption timeline is lawmakers uh, approving state funds to go to the Stitt family bank, you right, know, right. like, it's just, yeah. I think, I mean, my takeaway is that nobody likes corruption, right? There's no one out there that's like, I'm pro-corruption. And I place in states like Oklahoma, where we have been as a state, right? Like the people have been on the receiving end of some really shitty deals at the yeah. hands of politicians, the county commissioners' right. corruption. And, and to be clear, on both sides of the aisle, going back decades. Right. 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 Like, and that's just the, that's what gets me. It's like that's the stuff that, that voters hate, right? That like gets at the, the gut and it erodes, it erodes people's trust in their government. And then when those same dudes are like feeding in to being like, we're going to eliminate waste, fraud, and abuse. And it's like, but that was you, man. Right. Like, you were the one doing right. this. Right. You were the one gaming the system and taking advantage of the system. And maybe right. that's a better way to frame it, right? Like saying corruption is just like uh, bad. But when you realize that this is people in positions of power taking advantage of the rest of us, that's not okay. Right. Right. But we do have some folks here in the state who are committed to fighting corruption. Folks like State Auditor and Inspector Cindy Bird, who uh, is uh, apparently her office is being nationally recognized uh, by the National State Auditors Association. Man, what do you think their conventions are like? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, uh, lots of pencils. The National State Auditors Association Award for Excellence. 
uh, in the forensic report category for the investigative audit of Epic Charter Schools. That's 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 something to like, man. That's I'm glad that they won the award, but like, man, that whole situation. Well, yeah. So I thought it was funny that the state auditor uh, tweeted this because it's like it's kind of like a big middle finger to Epic Schools, right? Where it's yeah. like. The corruption was so bad there that we won an award investigating you. Right? right. Now, that also begs the question, when are charges going to be filed? I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> the, the auditor yeah. does the audit, and then she released it. Um, but she she released it really at out of her own free will because the AG was not going to release it. And we have still not seen... Anything out of the AG's office, um, any kind of uh, charges or report or really anything about this. Uh, and that, I think, is, you know, honestly, like, super concerning and legitimately frustrating, right? Like, we expect the auditor does a report, finds egregious corruption uh, at the Epic Charter Schools, identifies the problem, here's what happened, here's what's wrong with it, all of that, and then... Nothing's been filed yet, and so it's like, well, uh, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do here, folks? And how many tens of millions are we short? Yeah, a bunch, like sixty, like sixty-three million, something like that. Well, and this is this is why we are supposed to have an independently elected attorney general, right? right. Not just the governor's appointee, right? Because like, here's the circle, right? Epic Charter Schools gives money to the Stitt <laughs> campaign. Stitt appoints an AG. AG doesn't does not investigate Epic Charter Schools, you know, because they got yeah, because it's pretty yeah. clearly this like pay to play cycle. Also, sidebar, AG, do we think he's going to get elected? So he's he is not leading in the poll. O'Connor's not right. Gittner's uh, Gittner yeah. Drummond's leading right. Yeah, and that's a race that I think will be decided in the primary. Right? There's yeah. is there a Democrat or a Libertarian? Uh, I I mean I don't if there is I don't know who they are. Right, I don't. I'll have to. I'll look it up while we're talking. But I think that's a race that very well may be decided in the uh, in those. And on that, like all good state races, do you have to be a lawyer to be the attorney general? Should one of us run? We could. I mean, not not this year. We're already late. Right. Um, this is a good time to remind listeners, though, that you know, last week Bailey and I went through. I think all of the candidates that filed. That was the bulk of the episode. Um, and we're now in that period where people can challenge candidacy. Yes, there have been several of those. Yes, and next Monday, the 25th, will be the contest of candidacy hearings. They'll be starting at 9 a.m. There's a link on the election board uh, website homepage. That's always a good time. I mean, of all the contest of uh, candidacy, uh, you know, uh, battles that are forthcoming, the one I'm looking forward to the most is... uh, Leslie Osborne, uh, seeing if she can get uh, Sean Roberts booted off the ballot for a labor commissioner. Because of his name? Yeah. Because has you, I mean, we, you, you and I have been paying a lot of attention to the estate capital for several years now. Have you ever heard anyone refer to Senator Sean Roberts? Senator, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard anyone refer to Senator Roberts as Sean the Patriot Roberts? <laughs> I have not. Right. Never, never in public, 
Never in private discussions. Anytime his name has come up, I have never heard it referred to, heard him referred to as, oh, you know, the Patriot. Sean the Patriot Roberts. No, I mean, I can see where he would refer to himself in that Yeah, phrase. but I've never even heard him do it. Maybe not. Maybe it's a private thing. Maybe he just does it in the mirror. Sean, you're a Patriot. <laughs> I, um, he does it at home. He tells his wife, I'm not going to answer to Sean. you got to call me the Patriot. Now, I'll defer to you know attorneys uh, on this who know better than me, but when I looked this up the other day uh, on the state statutes, I don't think there's anything that necessarily prohibits someone you can put kind of whatever name you want on there and in fact we've seen other candidates um um there's a cowboy cowboy stevens right and and i think some of those names but those appear to be a more legitimate like name he's actually been called cowboy for a long time right like my name is andrew i go by andy right um but there's plenty of folks that have some kind of nickname like that fine yeah fine um you know but you don't see uh, for, asshole. Forrest Bennett with the good hair, right? Like <laughs> right. <laughs> on the ballot, um, and so I think like it's silly, and I would think it's just a slippery slope, right? Because if they approve this, what's to stop someone from filing as like a vote for me is a vote for Trump? More, right? right? Like, well, <laughs> or and, and and I wondered Trump, did, Trump's favorite candidate because like Joe Exotic. Didn't Joe Exotic legally change his name to Joe Exotic? Pretty sure he did. Right? But prior to that, he was Joseph something Maldonado. Maldonado. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but when he ran for governor, I think he was able to be Joe Exotic on the ballot because he'd legally changed his name? I think so. I think so. Because he right. ran more than once, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the case. Anyway, we'll find out. It does seem uh, interesting. I'm also very curious about... On the other side of the aisle, the race for uh, state, not state, the race for U.S. Senate for Lankford seat, uh-huh. um, two of the Democratic candidates, Jason Bollinger and um, Madison Horn. Bollinger is contesting the candidacy of Madison Horn, uh, alleging that she is not registered to vote in the state of Oklahoma. Which I don't think for federal races you have to be, right? Like, you don't have to live in the state to run for Congress. You can run for state in Vermont from here. Yeah. I don't think there's a, res- a residency requirement in federal law. Because many of them obviously have a permanent residence in D.C.? Or why is that? It's just not, not in the law? There's a lot of weird things I don't understand about government, Scott. I mean, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I mean, but I think there's, like, what's in the law, and then there's what's in practice, right? And I guess this is where people come in for those who are a textualist, right? Like God. <laughs> so uh, we'll find out. I'm going to uh, have to... Uh, I don't, you will, I'm just going to leave that alone. I will follow up and say, I just looked it up, and there is a libertarian candidate for attorney general, which means there will be a general election, and on some level, everybody gets to vote, right? Uh-huh. But as you said, it, if the polling holds, getting her drumming could win the Republican primary and then face Linda Steele in the general, in which case the Republican will likely win, right? Yeah, yeah. And also means that Democrats and independents then have very little choice in choosing the candidate. Again, yet again, an argument for open primaries. Yeah, agree, agree. 
So, you know, we've, we've been kind of on a corruption theme today. Uh, man, what's, um, what, what is the, what is, what is the latest on, uh, House Speaker Pro Tem Terry O'Donnell and that whole situation? Um, so this is the deal where he, like last session or whatever, last yeah. year got the bill for the tag agency so his wife could own it. That's not why he did it, Andy. He had no idea that his wife was going to inherit a tag agency from her mother. Yeah. Uh-huh. We'll find out, I guess, because the uh, the grand jury ha- is still hanging out, right? So that was he, not foreseeable. Um, yeah, so reportedly the grand jury has not been dismissed yet. Um, and so... I mean, there's been a formal indictment filed, right? And I think we're just waiting. I mean, the most serious case would be 10 years in prison and a $25,000 fine. But I guess there's some possibility of additional indictments to come, right? So in, in two places, the indictment refers to other natural persons allegedly involved in the conspiracy. Um, and says there's several references to phone calls between Terry O'Donnell and a high-ranking state official and communications with an unnamed Oklahoma Tax Commission employee, including the executive director, who at the time was someone named Tony Mastin. So it's very interesting. Um, you know, the Tulsa, the Tulsa World has a great article on this, and it's really good, but it also is just like, it's just very striking to me. Um, I'm just going to read this. They say there isn't much disagreement about the basic facts of the case. They are largely a matter of public record. The question is whether the O'Donnells crossed what is often regarded as a hazy line between public interest and self-dealing. By law, legislators are not supposed to vote on matters with direct financial benefit for them or their families. Yet it happens all the time. The argument in the O'Donnell case is that the couple went too far too brazenly, right? It's so, like no one's even contesting whether or not they like did some shit they weren't supposed to. Right. It's more like, okay, look, look, bro, if you're gonna do this, you gotta at least like try to obscure it. Right. Right. Well, I think what often happens is that people will like run a bill but then not vote for it. And I don't remember if he voted for this bill or not. He may have just been the author but then not voted on it, which yeah. feels like a cop out, right? Like, right. And so I'm going to run the bill, but take my constitutional privilege when it comes to voting for it. Right, right. I'm going to advocate for it and then not vote. Do everything except for just like pushing a green button. Right. Um, in which case, I would have, I mean, a prudent judge um, would be like, that doesn't hold water. <laughs> like, that dog don't hunt. Yeah, exactly right. So I think um, it'll be very curious to see what happens on this. It's in the hands of Oklahoma County DA David Prater, who's been pretty hush-hush about it, as he should be. It's a grand jury investigation. But also, he's not seeking re-election, so he very well may be willing to cash in his political points to do what's right. And I don't... Prater has generally been uh, pretty strict on kind of backroom deals and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which is good. Better, better than the alternative, I guess. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting. Again... This is an election year, um, and O'Donnell, I think, is up for re-election. And so, although I don't remember if he got an opponent or not. So, anyway, I guess we'll keep an eye on that. Grand juries are a little fascinating to me because they just kind of get impaneled secretly. You don't know who's on it. You don't know what they hear. 
And then all of a sudden, it's like, boom! Yeah. <laughs> boom! Indictment. That's right. A jury of your peers who you don't know. Yeah. Uh, it feels like, I don't, I, I'm probably wrong on this, but it feels like there's still a little bit of, like, the, the kind of justice system that you grow up thinking exists, like, still does exist. Well, you know, it's interesting because I feel like there's been criticism of, like, the grand jury process. Maybe criticism is the right word. It's just, I think it's an interesting process because my understanding, and lawyers who listen jump in, text me, or tweet me, or whatever. Um, grand juries, they, they operate, like, fundamentally differently, right? right? Like, the DA is, like, in charge of the grand jury. Right. And, like, has total control over what they hear. Right. And, like, what constitutes evidence and, like, what doesn't. And, like, whether they hear any opposing testimony at all, right? Like, like really the DA is the only one who, like, gets to make a case to the grand jury, I think. Right. Um, um, which is, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it is very interesting. Yeah. Well, that's very true. I... And I think there's a criticism to be made that the fact that they are secret, right, um, you know, obviously limits transparency, and that's not great for democracy. But I can think in um, certain situations, it's helpful because it could allow witnesses to speak more freely. If nothing gets filed, like if they don't choose to indict, then the accused's reputation is not dragged through the mud unnecessarily, right? Right. Because um, really, the only time you know about a grand jury is if they've been impaneled, and then if they actually issue an indictment, right? So they're not, they're not the jury in the end, right? Right. They're right. not the ones that they just decide if there's enough evidence to to proceed to like an indictment and right. all that yeah. stuff that happens after there's an indictment. We need to have uh, one of our attorney friends on to discuss grand juries, I think, because now I'm curious, like. Why would a DA choose to impanel a grand jury rather than just bringing charges themselves? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there's probably a lot there, um, and I mean, from what I understand, I think like half of the states that have laws that allow for grand juries don't even use them, right? Like they use preliminary hearings or that kind of stuff instead. Um, in which case. You know, a preliminary hearing would be open to the public, lawyers on both sides, you know, and a judge, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, interesting. All right, well, Scott, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. A little shorter this week. It's yeah. the, that time in session where... We're all, just, I mean, we're all just waiting for the budget, right? Right. And, uh, you know, I had several meetings today um, with some capital insiders, mm-hmm. and in every meeting, everyone said, yeah... The negotiations are happening, but no one knows for sure who's in it. Like, yeah. It's like leadership, but it might not even be vice chairs. Transparency. Transparency right there. Right. right. And that report about budget transparency just rings more and more true every day. What do you think is the, is, uh, is the education bill, is the voucher bill, is it done, or is the voucher bill happening as part of budget negotiations? Mm, that's a good question. And then income taxes. Right? Yeah. Because that died this week too, right? Supposedly. So... I... My gut says that, uh, oh, the thing we didn't talk about, the passage of the LEAD Act, right? This We didn't even get into the... Is it LEAD or LED? I'm suddenly aware I that LED batteries are also spelled the same way. Anyway, 
the incentive for Panasonic, right? Yeah. It's like... You don't know it's Panasonic, Andy. I'm not... Everybody a, signed an NDA. No. <laughs> John Eccles did not. He said he didn't. <laughs> right. He also said he didn't, he didn't sign anything and he knew nothing, which I was like, <laughs> one of those is true. Um, right. So, um, yeah, so... Short version, the governor held a press conference on Tuesday, Monday, was it? Monday, Monday yeah. where he essentially said, hey, we're in negotiations to get a major manufacturing facility from a Fortune 500 company. Rumors have been abounding for a couple of weeks that Panasonic might be looking to build a battery factory here in Oklahoma. Um, batteries that are manufactured will be used in the Tesla cars and canoe cars. Um, um, he had this press conference, and at the press conference, he was like, I can't actually tell you what the company is or what they'd be making, but they're big, and it'd be billions of dollars and tens of thousands of jobs. But in order to do this, we have to pass this incentive package for them. Uh, The legislature responded by, you know what? I don't do this a lot. I'm actually going to give the legislature some credit here, (laughs) right? Um, They responded. They didn't actually pass a package that reflects exactly what the governor asked for um they reflected a a passage that's or they passed a package that's a a little more narrow it's not specifically tailored to one company Um, it's a package that can be used for for you know as a as a kind of carrot in negotiations with many large companies Mm -hmm. offering incentives for them to do here and does have some pretty good safeguards in it um it actually passed um both houses of the legislature um with bipartisan support um and you know and it's and and you know, I um, um, I <laughs> I had a tweet about the about the governor's press conference on Monday where I was kind of making fun of this whole process, but it was really making fun of the like rushedness of it and the like secrecy surrounding it. I, I actually think public-private partnerships can be really beneficial, and the, and the MAP project is a great example of using public dollars to make strategic improvements to you know infrastructure in ways that are designed to attract, you know, one or more specific industries. And so, and, and so I don't have any issue with, with, with doing this kind of thing to attract companies. But what it shouldn't be, in my opinion, is we're going to pass this one particular law to attract this one particular company when no one is privy to it, but a but a few individuals. And so right. I actually really appreciate the fact that legislative leadership chose not to do that and instead passed a, I said narrower, but I guess kind of a more, a broader, yeah. a broader package that can be used, you know, in, in years forward, you know, in years in the future um, to try and bring other industries to Oklahoma that has some good safeguards, you know, rebates rather than, you know, credits or direct payments or whatever. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, and it requires the company, in this case Panasonic, to actually make investments before yeah. they get right. And like you do this, we'll give you some rebates, which right. is how the film credit works too, right? Right. And I mean the film credit. I don't think anybody can argue the film credit's been anything but a huge success. I mean, I'll, dude, you know, you've seen like in the past, you know, I've seen like kind of random like you know small projects being filled here and there. Not last week, but the week before, here on uh, on my street, here on on Western, I I was driving to work and I texted Ashley one morning. I was like, "Babe, like they're making a movie, mm-hmm. like on West." I mean, it was like well, was it was it like, like a set. I mean, there was like yeah, yeah. like trucks and like actor trailers and like a whole parking lot with catering and like a couple hundred people yeah. and like I mean, I was like this. I mean, we've we've um, if you've ever traveled, like I mean, I, mean, I guess it's probably like this maybe in L.A., but like. 
Vancouver. There's a lot of movies that are shot in Vancouver. Yeah. So you drive all over Vancouver and there's trucks with camera equipment and mm -hmm. food trucks and all this kind of stuff all over. And I was like, it looks like Vancouver. Like they're <laughs> like making a movie. Yeah. Um, and that's apparently happening all over the state, which, which is really cool. Yeah. So this Panasonic battery deal, we'll see what happens. We're in, we're in um, contest with Kansas, I guess, for this yeah. factory. So supposedly in a couple of weeks we'll find out. I'm not getting my hopes up because I am tired of being disappointed when we don't get cool things. I mean, I think it'd be, I, I hope it works. I think it'd be awesome. You yeah. know, I mean, like, and it, it would go out there. I think it's a Mid America Industrial Park, which is also, isn't that where canoes yep. supposedly going to go if canoe ever builds a car? Yeah. Um, but hopefully, hopefully the, the safeguards in the, the lead act are enough to, we don't, we don't see a Foxconn. We don't see the Oklahoma version of Foxconn right. in uh, Wisconsin. Right. Yeah. That was a, a boondoggle. We should call this episode the uh, Foggy Bottom Boondoggle. Yes. Episode title. That's there it is. Done. All right. Well, uh, all that to say about the Panasonic battery thing is that because that passed this week, I think that took a lot of the oxygen away from some of the other tax credits, right? Like if they were going to whatever credits they were thinking about giving to people and companies, they're like, uh, well, we're going to give $800 million to this guy, so... We probably shouldn't do that. So we'll, I think that will factor into it a bit. Sure. Uh, maybe a big bit. We'll find out. All right. Well, on that note, that brings us to the end of the episode. Scott, thank you. Until next time. Until next time. Listeners, thank you for being here as well. Um, please uh, remember to do a couple of things. One, go to our website, letsfixthis.org. Sign up for our email list. Um, I just sent out an email blast yesterday. Actually, I'm getting back into it. I've kind of laid off email for a while, but we have some important news to share. I guarantee it won't even be once a week. Uh, but you should definitely sign up to stay in the loop with things. Uh, that's going to be a much more uh, useful and helpful reminder than just waiting for our weekly podcast episodes. Also, once you do that, then go to civicscon.com, civicscon, C-O-N, Com, as in civics conference and um, make sure that you are in the loop there just go ahead and bookmark civicscon tickets um, oh tickets are actually available now go ahead and sign up register for civicscon it'll be june 10th and 11th um, you should definitely attend it'll be a norman should be a really great event all right well uh enjoy yourself this week uh, stay warm or cool or out of the wind whatever the oklahoma weather brings you and remember that decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week.